Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com Oh yeah, oh yeah, with the ching don't forget that. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Legalization News, and we are thrilled to have Kirsten Velasco from the medical cannabis community joining us. So please click like, click subscribe, and you're going to find out how they are helping the medical cannabis community. So Kirsten, tell us a little bit about your organization. The medical cannabis community has been swinging for the rafters for about four years in Illinois, and we got our feet underneath of us, got a nice community growing. And we realized that there was such a need that we wanted to expand in a few more states that had newly expanded into recreation like Maryland and New York. So when we got this wonderful community going, we realized that there was a lot of people who just didn't have the ability to physically go out and get this information. And also to just ask people questions and get their feet under them and make themselves feel more comfortable about getting into a medical cannabis program and making sure that they were staying within what the law requires. How long have you been passionate about medical cannabis? Well, I think you could say May of 2013. That's when my niece informed me through her quiet advocacy that Illinois was going to get a medical cannabis program. And I knew right from that moment that this was what I was going to do because I knew that all programs, all medical cannabis programs are going to struggle, whether it's with the legislative process or even just having people join the program because of the stigma. And I said, oh, they have this attitude, this cavalier attitude of we'll just build it and they will come. And it just has not worked out like that at all. So if people are not comfortable talking about cannabis, they're not going to access it and get the benefits. So 2013 is when that all started for me. And I've been coast to coast for conferences, studying absolutely everything I possibly can. And going out and meeting with the public and having the courage to say cannabis out loud has been the tip of my mission. I find that really interesting. Like you say cannabis out loud, they still say marijuana a lot, you know, there's Miggy, is it marijuana or cannabis in Washington state? Oh no, Miggy. 
I think you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah, no, cannabis is the big the word of the day. Um, but you know, it's, one of them, uh, the activists here, uh, uh, Jared Alloway, he made a he makes a, all the uh, marijuana safer than shirts. So marijuana <laughs> safer than McDonald's, blah blah. blah. Uh, he had a really good one that says cannabis is less racist than marijuana. But I mean, that's just <laughs> exactly the, the big topic, exactly. right? When yeah. it comes to yeah. advocates, it's like you know, Illinois did that, that specifically. They don't have any reference to marijuana whatsoever <laughs> in their law. Really, like not even like because you, but then again, is this like a layman thing where you use the word cannabis in the law, and then someone's like, "Well, no, it's marijuana." No, I mean, it, it literally is semantics. Art. It's a it's literally a term of art thing under federal law. Marijuana is specifically cannabis that has 03 percent or more delta nine THC in its flowers, and then I guess with according to the USDA, that would be total THC. But yeah, it is it it, it doesn't exist as a thing except under this law. So like if that law was just gone, then the term marijuana in and of itself would cease to be a thing. Mm. In the legal sense, but in a perjurative sort of that negative connotation that's attached to it. So I think that's why I've trained myself to say cannabis publicly, but I call it pot and weed when I'm at home. Let's smoke some weed. I really enjoy that. So I just feel the outward facing burden of making sure that we use those terms that help to forge a different concept of what cannabis is. Well, in your group too, uh, or so it's the website, right? And then people can go from your website to find all your social medias. Uh, um, and as we're talking in the green room, how uh, social media is biased to the cannabis right away. So uh, your group is actually a really cool, at least when it comes to like interaction, that's where to get a group talking and, and be, interactive uh i mean what do you got Sixteen thousand members where you're at Thirteen thousand, yeah so and it's funny because a lot of people will be like oh i want to start a facebook group and it'll be awesome and you know it can go pretty good up until about a thousand people and then it takes a constant babysitting oh good you know somebody's gonna be a little bit testy or say something a little bit insulting and you've got to be there to really keep control of it so for Abraham to have built this up to 17,000 members and to have an 80% monthly activity rate, it's really unheard of and unparalleled. Mm-hmm. And I can confidently tell people, go to that Facebook group, ask any question you want, and you're going to get 15 people who are going to be really supportive and really positive, no matter how rudimentary your question is. It's a real safe zone. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Do you guys? So I was talking to uh, uh, Tom before and uh, doing research on you guys. And is there a plan B because Facebook is can be biased? Like if they say we're we're closing this group, how do you get seventeen thousand members back? Well, you'll have to ask Abraham the tricks of the trade behind the scenes for how he manages to make sure that he keeps a buffer zone and keeps everybody safe. But building out that website and. You know, God bless him, because getting a website up and running is not easy. So he has managed to get something that's really functioning, really great to visit. And uh, that way he's got a solid place that will not be shut down on a whim of Facebook. Yeah. And they're, the, you know, it's the medical cannabis org, and they do have a uh, join our mailing list. That's one of the fail safes because I have to, uh, you know, brand myself off the internet as well for my presence. And one of the things from our Facebook group that it'll just get siloed suddenly and it'll just stop growing because it's been flagged or something. Correct. And and like, you know, you, 
you put it in the search bar. So like somebody wants to find your group and you just won't get displayed on the search That's bar. That's correct. Yeah, you and have to really. On, we're growing on YouTube now, but like what happened then? Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. And we have to accept the fact that Facebook is the place, you know, there's Tumblr and uh, Instagram, but it just doesn't have that same broad spectrum of constant activity that we feel that Facebook does, especially for our demographic of people who are out there seeking uh, information about cannabis. Yeah, no, I uh, um, really want to delete Facebook off my phone at one point, uh, several times, you know, everybody gets tired of this shit, but um you know, one of the things I do is I try and help people and everybody knows what Facebook is. Every, every old person, every young person, they know what it is. So if someone's in trouble and seeking help, they go to Facebook and, uh, but unfortunately now hey, it's you mark yourself shit. safe. <laughs> yeah. You know, I shit. mark myself safe from the, yeah. the marijuana stigma. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's, it's definitely an easy outlet. I saw Abraham post the other day in the group, how he was kind of upset that, uh, people are just saying we're a Facebook group, but, Honestly, a lot of businesses can be based off of a Facebook group. Like it, it's an actual thing where you, but with 17,000 people, there's you a know, lot. try to try to have a business and not have a Facebook page or Facebook right. group. It's, it's I don't think that's a thing. Right. <laughs> it is. They just, they just don't do very well. Right. And, um, so how long have you guys been building this community then on Facebook? Has it been about three years, you said? Well, more in the four-year range. I think that Abraham and I met each other probably in 2015 in the summertime at a Chicago conference. Mm -hmm. And I introduce Abraham and I as he's the digital entity and I'm the physical entity. So I have been able to physically go out into the community, get speaking engagements, and then refer people back to the medical cannabis community. So do you see how digital people will come on and get as much information as they can. And then they will consider actually hosting an educational event for their organization. So it goes both ways. I'm out there tip of the spear, trying to get as much uh, information out there and get as many invitations to speak and educate as possible. And then we use those contacts to then fuel more traffic and more traffic to the Facebook group. So it does help. Uh, give momentum to both activities. I've done over 150 medical cannabis presentations in Illinois. Wow. It's, I think that's a one thing only. I don't know anybody else who's done that many just public outreach programs where I connect directly to the community. I'm one of the first people that will actually say cannabis out loud in front of people in public. And it's a real icebreaker. And I take a lot of weight and responsibility on those programs because I, at first I'm like, hey, I just want you to know that cannabis is safe and it's a great complimentary therapy. But I do feel the need to actually plant a seed in someone who says, hey, this isn't right. We should be able to access this as a complimentary therapy where we have doctors who bully and intimidate their patients who actually have the courage to be open and honest about the benefits they get from cannabis. So as long as people are intimidated about saying this out loud, I've got to be out there saying it out loud, making them get more comfortable with it. Well, no, that you guys, uh, cannabis needs a community. It needs a, a center. Cannabis people need a place to, to, to communicate and talk a safe, 
place because, uh, you know, this is we're still fighting weird stigmas from from like the 60s. Right. Like, yeah. like we're in 2020 and this is the world of flat earth. Like, what the fuck? Like, exactly. You know, I, so, yeah, a safe space is definitely needed. And, and you're and at one point, Facebook was that until it got way above its head. And now they like, how, like one in three people in the world is on Facebook, right? They have like yeah. over two, four billion people using it every day, you know, and that we use we use uh, YouTube here to be and we're streaming right now on your Facebook page. I mean, it's we, we are still using their pipes. It works the best. Yeah. But then because what you're doing, it's not just the stigma. It's the legality. Like if you were just a thing that was a faux pas, that would be fine. Like you can't buy advertisements, you can't buy likes on Facebook. We can't buy subscribers on YouTube. Uh, but because it's illegal, that stigma is just allowed to be validated through official government actions. It really is. And four years ago, when I was really getting active out in the community, it was Ali Nagib where I said, "Hey, this is going great. In four years or so, we'll get across this finish line." And we won't need to do this anymore. So that's sort of a lead into, oh, my gosh, it's January. Adults do have access to cannabis and three. No, no, have you, seen the, lines? Have you seen the lines? Adults don't have access to cannabis. Man, um, legally, legally, Tom, legally, they have access. Legally, <laughs> Illinois, just like in, now, Seattle is flushed with flour. But in Illinois, the first two days, five point four million dollars worth of sales. I don't know any dispensaries that have flour. Uh, yeah, it's it's limited. And we felt that crunch for months before the January 1st bell rang. And for me, knowing that that stigma is so strong, this idea that I was going to be finished with this outreach, destigmatizing work, that is nowhere near. We are. Oh, no. We have so many discriminatory so many incredible things that are so ironic. Like, let's say if someone is a stone cold alcoholic, they can still go out and buy alcohol. As much as they want, they could literally buy lethal doses. Like I, I had a wonderful New Year's Eve and I went right to sleep because we had some great uh, Oregon CBD hemp flower tinctures that you make through using Everclear. So we had like one last cocktail to end the evening and bang, just to sleep, you know, because there was a whole bunch of CBD in it. But that was totally legal. You know, you're talking about Everclear, pure alcohol. You can buy that at the Jewel Osco. Right. And how many people puked and spent the next two days after New Year's? completely hungover and miserable, totally legal to do that. And yet, like you said, even in the dispensaries that are still supplying, they have said, hey, limit your purchases to one flower item. And now there has been so much angst that I had to say, we are having a hard time suppressing our anxiety and our desires for this to go well, to even enjoy the fact that this monumental thing has happened. We have crossed a threshold that is unique to Illinois. And I got to admit, I really do have a bias for Illinois because of Chicago, the Midwest. Ha I'm, have you ever heard the saying, does it play in Peoria? I, 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 
not only am I from Peoria, I also am quite familiar with Richard Pryor. Like Nikki Glaser is the current hottest commodity out of the city. Is she uh, from there? Yeah. Oh man, I love her. Oh crap. All right. All yeah, right. So yeah. right. So here we are at this monumental threshold. And the people who have been banging our heads against rocks are still so built up with anxiety because we're seeing that it's not meeting the needs. It's keeping that black market thriving. And, you know, God bless the black market. I don't want to besmirch it. Think about how many people have survived only because they've been able to get a hookup for black market weed. So there is still so much angst and anxiety involved with how far we still need to go with this. And have you taken a moment to think about how Michigan had medical for a really long time, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have the legal framework and infrastructure and bureaucracy to make it a really full-fledged campaign and program. Same way. I felt really bad that they had got to flip the switch December 1st, one month before us. I really wanted to beat them to the punch because we've done so much work to get there so legitimately. Mm -hmm. But when you saw that in their first day of sales, it was like $200,000 and 2,200 transactions. And ours was the 3.2 million and 77,000 transactions. Man. So that, that is just that is. Uh, we, does everybody else have a loop when it's okay? No, we're good. Uh, so, but that that just basically means that that was capacity. That was just nonstop ringing the registers. There was just that many registers. If there was more registers, it would have been more than three million dollars. Correct. Yeah. Michigan also has a, an established culture too, where I mean, Hashbash and John Sinclair. Yeah, this was more when they did their medical. It wasn't based on the cultivator growing. It was more based on like how you guys had out in Washington State with the caretaker model. So yeah. uh, the growing was not commercialized as much. Well, then you know you guys are about to go through a lot of aches and pains when it comes to legalization well there's the weirdest thing that came out on the rules for the next rounds of licenses that drop here on tuesday and so i've been like working all weekend going through and putting them together my packages for the next round of licenses and they were supposed to be for the craft grow and for the infuser licenses limited to 40 but then the department of agriculture says if you get over 75 percent on your score you will you win and when i'm like wait yeah but that doesn't mean 40, you win. That's that that should be mutually exclusive. Wow. Yeah. I saw with the rollout of the medical program that they have verbiage and it says a certain thing. Well, implementing is a completely different thing. And it kept on re it surfaced a lot of things that hadn't been considered except for in practical use. You know, things on blueprint and, and in physical form tend to manifest their own issues. So that's what we really saw. And I think that's what's going to happen with that particular verbiage is somebody saw that and said, is that what they really mean? That just everybody's going to get a craft grow license, which that means then every patient also has the ability to grow their own cannabis. So it does seem that they are trying to expand things they are. to fill in the gaps where the but nobody nobody's selling uh, at all those dispensaries that are basically sold out and limiting flower purchases there's no ability to purchase seeds even though now it's legal for the medical patients to have their five plants so there's a lot of mystery seeds 
getting planted or like mystery clones flying. And that's how it started for it, for the medical program. They're like, don't tell us how you got your seeds. We don't even want to know. Let's right. just jump right past that gate. Hey, I wanted to ask Tom, since you're here in Illinois, how many licenses applications do you think that Illinois received here in that open interim uh, on, on the last day, one of my partner, well, he's one of my buddies, he's another can- cannabis consultant in the industry with me. Hey Ben. Uh, uh he said he was number 889 or something like that. And okay. so I have no, how many de- no idea how many people were behind him. When I put in an application on uh, the 31st, I was number 217, which, you know, it's also the zip code for Champaign area. Hi people in Champaign. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so if I was 217 and he was 889, it's probably going to be over a thousand for those 75 spots. There's over a, probably a thousand applications and that might be misleading. And here's why, because some of the people that might've gotten a, a number may have had five applications And my, mine's a good example because I just had one application, but they wanted five licenses. So that counts as five application fees but I just had one number of 217. So if there's just a thousand individual packages and some of those, that one package could be 17 different BLS regions. So that could you know count as 17 different applications. It, depending on how they count the applications, it could be in the, the 5,000 range, but that is just, that's obscene. That's obscene. It is obscene yeah. for 75 actual licenses being issued. Right. It's insane. Those are the stores, right? <laughs> What's that? The 75 licenses. Those are just stores? Just dispensaries, just retail. Yeah. And then how many uh, grows are you allowed to have? Uh, that's the thing. There was 40 in the statute and then there's different waves and there's different types of grows. And so like there's the big dudes. Those ones aren't even open for business. Those are the ones that are already operating. Mm-hmm. And then there's these small entrants and those are called the craft grows. And that's 5,000 square foot flowering canopy. It's cut, cut about 1,500 plants, depending on what state that you're watching this in. You're your regulations might call for plant numbers as opposed to square footage of flowering canopy space. So 5,000 is where you can start. And then if you do a good job, the state will let you track all the way up to um, 14,000 square foot. So, you know, that's quite a bit of plants. And then they, I don't understand why they, it was like 40. And then next time was supposed to be 60 and 150 max. And now the Department of Agriculture just says, if you get this score, you win. It's fucking nuts, dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We'll, we'll wait and see how it pans out. Yeah, but the numbers just seem even like arbitrary as it is because in Washington, when it was medical, we had a thousand dispensaries. Like literally across the state, there was a thousand fucking dispensaries that you could, you know, I can go anywhere in the state and get weed. Wow. And then when recreational happened, that's when all the, that's when the the police were now on the payroll and they were part of the enforcement uh, and downsized everything. And I, I think we're only in a couple hundreds when it comes to shops now. Uh, only a couple hundred now dispensaries in what? In- yeah. Well, they're not dispensaries now. They're they're pot shops. Oh, they're they pot call shops. It pot shops. Oh. We're not dispensaries because we're not medical. There's no fucking medical out here, man. They they got rid of it. Oh. Well, technically ish. Uh, I mean, there's. But I have my card. Do you have card reciprocity? No. No, Illinois does not have card reciprocity either. And so, like, if I take this to Michigan or to Nevada or to California, I think my card counts. Yeah. But if they bring their card here, it doesn't count. Correct. Regulations all fucked up. But, you yeah. know, and back to your point, uh, Kirsten, about the uh, um, the the taboo. Uh, I, I just did an article today. I, I put out, and I talk about how, like, you know, 
places of employment don't have random kid fucker checks, right? Correct. But they have random drug checks. It's like, can we can we find the real bad guys in our life? Can can we just really find the real bad people opposed to, you know, just arbitrarily just like, ah, you had a good weekend, so we're gonna take you down. Yeah. I think that the idea of just getting the natural acceptance that cannabis is so so safe. So safe. I mean, we let people have bicycles. I had the, the guy who's in the office next to me because, like, for some reason, my clients like to tip me in weed. Can you <laughs> believe that? And, like, and that's probably going to happen a lot more. And I mean, and I have no problem with that. It's great. I'm like, oh my God, how did you know? How did you know? You know, and, um, and for some reason, you know, they, I leave and the guy's like, it smelled like such cannabis in your office. And I'm like, yeah. 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 Right. You're, you, if you, if we want our businesses, if we want Illinois to succeed, you have to have people who are not afraid. That's right. So I, because I stand on the shoulders of a lot of people who had to sacrifice a lot and go out and take the risks. Now I feel that much more obligated to be as loud as I possibly can about this. Just keep the airwaves, keep everything saturated, keep it constantly on people's minds. It's the only way to get people to adapt to it. And there's simple things like THC is evil, but CBD is good. And I'm like, eh, no, that is completely false. Right. And it just as a way for people to hold on to their idea that it's a super bad thing that people should not be doing. Um, and it's just really frustrating because I'm sure that in you guys' lives, you've seen people who suffer illness, horrible illness, and their loved ones actually ask them, please, will you please try cannabis? They get terrible diseases and they think cannabis is terrible for them. They think it's evil. They think it's bad. They don't want to try it. Maybe if they're going to die and still probably not then. Yeah. I, I worked for a year at Flora Medics in Elmwood Park, which is now called Sunnyside. And a young guy came in and his dad had finally agreed, okay, I'll let you go get the cannabis card. And I called him the next day after helping him submit that application. And he was like, my dad died yesterday. Oh, so yeah. do you see how like it's only at the very last that some people will relent and be like, fine, you'll bring that devil's lettuce into my house uh, and then they've waited until it's too late when we know that it should be. Did you have any cannabis before you called the doctor? Yeah. It should be the new two aspirin and call me in the morning. Yeah. And it's something I thought about too, because I, I had a neighbor who had uh, a brain tumor and some uh, people gave me some RSO to give to him. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't touch it because of his Christian values or some shit like that. And yeah. so I'm like, all right, I guess I got a whole team of RSO. People that you see that like are always saying that, you know, cannabis is in the Bible and it's all cited in this. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. I'm glad hey. that you have faith and I have faith in cannabis. The rest of the stuff, I'm just going to take you at your word, yo. But it's yeah. a natural thing. Why Why not try something naturally grown first before I take this little like, like thing that has like a disclaimer about like, Anal bleeding and shit. Like, why can I not just right. try? I can tell May you not why. work. Ask your doctor about AstraZeneca. Right. It's <laughs> it's the it's the shame of it. Literally, the embarrassment of being lumped into drug addicted losers is what is tagged on consuming cannabis. But meanwhile, take your Ambien with a drink of Franzia, you know, boxed wine, and off to 
slumber you go and nobody has a problem with that, even though. Unless you like, you know, start sleepwalking and like, you know, fight somebody. Well, Which, again, they, they warned you about that when the sleeping cat jumped back <laughs> into the window and then tuckered himself out on the bed. Which you're like, wait a second. Am I going to be a yeah. sleeping cat that's like wandering around while I'm on this, that, this ambient stuff? Yeah. That's one of the reasons why we've gotten so many people into the medical program. People had to literally suffer the physical damage of pharmaceuticals. And doctors will say to them, I can no longer prescribe this to you. You have to find another option. So sometimes when their back is against the wall, then they break down and say, maybe I should start asking some questions. And I feel like people, even though you go onto the internet and literally anything is there to ask and find, get questions, it's like jumping into an ocean of information yeah, and you yeah. just go down a rabbit hole and don't know what information you were ever even started looking for. So that's the idea behind actually going to a class. It's uh, Even when people would come to libraries to see my program, I'm like, these people left their houses to physically come talk to me. I'm really amazed by that in our digital world. But there's nothing like having someone who will tell you, hey, this is what it was like for me. And by the way, could you please start with inhalation and not edibles? And it's that's another irony that people are like, oh, no, my parents told me not to smoke. I'm not going to smoke anything. And I'm like, then we have the vaping crisis to further roadblock us. But yeah. inhalation, real small. Real easy to find out how it made you feel really quickly instead right, of wondering right. for an hour and a half what what your edible effect is going to take. Yeah, so yeah. we we've got those baby steps that it really helps to have someone, you know, who looks a little bit like me, who's not too threatening. You know, it, it really does help to have an image to go out into the community and make people feel comfortable. Yeah, no, you <laughs> As far as the educational goes and, 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 and being a spokesperson, I mean, it's necessary and it's still needed uh, when people are afraid. Even uh, from Tom and I's advocacy, I've been doing this, advocating for cannabis over 20 years. Probably wasn't within like the last 10 years that I really have embraced the medical side of things. Because before that, it was just like, I know this thing. I can smoke it all freaking day and it's never going to kill me. Why is this illegal? Opposed to like uh, the six pack or whatever. Um, but you know, back to your point about uh, the sick people, you know, a lot of the advocates that we have and, and, and have come up are because they were sick. People who, you know, read for madness. And I, and I, and I was thinking about this today as we we're about ready to talk, because I think about why we're not closer. I mean, we're, we're way closer than we were before. But why aren't we there yet? Why aren't people in the streets mad as fuck? Why aren't people tearing things down? You know, people are mad in China and Hong Kong, everywhere doing things. But what do we got? We got complacency. We got Internet. Well, yeah. And, and this is another reason why I feel so strongly about being a open broadcaster about this is because who are we going to rely on? Sick people? The people who are struggling just to make it through the day. And we're going to say, oh, look at the success you had with cannabis. Now go trot out and make yourself and your family bear that burden as well to go convince other people that they should add cannabis as a complementary therapy. Right. And another but, reason, go ahead. I was going to say that, and the reason why we're still fighting about this, uh, Miggy, is remember, uh, the Civil War ended in 1865. And then for another 100 years, not much really happened in the way of progress. And, and then it took a lot more lynchings and marches and, and, and standing up to its, each other. And then actually, I wonder if the, um, the evolution of technology, because then, you know, you, first, you just could lynch somebody. 
There wasn't pictures. You know, what are they going to do like an artist rendering sketch? Nobody could read, you know, and then you, you fast forward another hundred years in, in the early 60s and television's everywhere and everybody can read. And they've been learning all these things for, for years. And that was one of the uh, the things in this old book, um, you know, coming up on 10 years on it now, like Fred Vinson was the, uh, the Supreme Court Chief Justice uh, at the time that uh, cannabis prohibition arose in the, well, he was named the Supreme Court Chief Justice and he died in 1953. Before he was named uh, to the Supreme Court, he was a congressman and his lies helped to pass the Marijuana Tax Stamp Act. And then when he died as the Supreme Court Chief Justice, he was holding up Brown v. Versus Education. So he was a racist motherfucker. Yeah. And, and he was still there keeping, I mean, like, why do you think he lied to make marijuana illegal? Why do you think he was holding up Brown v. Board of Education? And those right. people just were allowed to do it. And they're still in power, like Mike Crapo in the Senate. Well, like you're saying too, also, uh, you know, big topic here. I talked to a lot of guys here locally and, uh, you know, we're so people like you're saying with technology, you know, you've seen those lynchings from like the fifties and the forties. And there's pictures of people like smiling and standing like, like taking a selfie. Right. Right. Those people, their grandkids are alive now. Some of them are still fucking alive now, like influencing our policies and whatnot. So it, you can change yeah. the law, but it doesn't actually change what people will do and what people will think. And in this, in these years that I've done this outreach and advocacy, I've been thinking, oh, you know, the industry itself is going to take over because every conference I went to, they're like, we need education. Education is the key. And yet when you go to do education as a license holding entity, everything that they want to do gets held up in compliance. They are so afraid of the fines if they're perceived as advertising. Mm -hmm. So even now, they really limit, try to limit what they do as far as outreach goes so that they don't run into anybody who complains or calls the press and, and does things like that. So uh, we have the actual license holders who have so much invested still being intimidated to be a, a wary of receiving these fines and bad press. I mean, we just have to toe the line and just try to do as best as we possibly can under the great extra unreasonable burdens. Well, it's like even uh, in the recreational, whether it's Washington or Oregon, California, how many, you would think with all the people that are incarcerated, that all these people would join forces. Now you're making revenue, you're pulling in uh, a sustainable income. Hey, let's donate and help raise awareness and change the policy. No, nothing is going to happen because people are happy in their small little worlds. I think well, they don't like. Why are you trying to change my job? You know, like if you realize my job is to arrest these bad, terrible people, and that's why I think they're bad, terrible people. And also, why are you trying to put me out of work? You know, I'm just a cop. That's why I give advice on how laws should be. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a weird quandary we're at, right? I mean, yeah, a racist it's, law. It's so historic. And things that we do with the medical yeah. cannabis. Uh-oh. Did somebody go uh, into buffering? Someone's in Comcast mode. Well, uh, Comcast, another friend of the show, longtime hacker, first-time watcher, Comcast. But um, we might have to put her out and then bring her back in. And, yeah. and uh, that's sometimes how this works. But I wanted to bitch about Upton Sinclair. It's like what he said over 100 years ago in the jungle, I think, you know, eight, uh, 1906, 
where uh, we'll take her out of the stream and we'll add her to the stream. Are okay. you back? Hey, you're back. We're back. Sorry yeah. about that. Upton Sinclair. What I was, yeah. hey. So could anybody hear anything I was saying? Not a word. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, so let me say this, that with our organization, the medical cannabis community, we provide opportunities for license holders or cannabis entrepreneurs to drop their branding and their collateral in our activities, put it on our website, uh, add it to my presentation when I go out. So that way it's a very neutral way for their branding to get exposure throughout the state and the country. Uh, without having to worry about infringing on those advertising prohibitions. Yeah. So our neutrality and our separation from those license holders is a great um, platform on which to get the awareness out for their brands and activities and services. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous that because uh, they from going over all these applications, they put such so much focus and emphasis on education but then you say well no you can't educate too much that'll be considered advertising so you have to outsource the advertising to a third party uh charity or nonprofit like the medical cannabis community mm -hmm. ridiculous yeah it is it's okay. it's crazy but we're trying to piece things together and i really want to commend abraham because I'm sure that he could have gotten scooped up by, you know, a big producer here in Illinois. We've got some big entities that have begun here and gotten really huge, but he knew that he needed to maintain that neutrality and make sure that there was an entity that could provide information very easily, very quickly. And then that way th there would be that trust build up so that we wouldn't be considered shills for the industry. That's the big thing is trust. Uh, uh, you know, we've been watching for probably what the past six years the CBD craze, right? Like, like Canaway was doing her thing. With oh the, yeah, the Avon of fucking bad shit. But people don't question where is this product coming from? Where's your CBD? People aren't curious about the the, the farms. You know, there's so much just mis uh, understanding of what they're trying to get into, and, and and I think it's great what you're doing. I mean, it's important that you know we speak up and talk about how this is not killing anybody <laughs> ever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, we, we start with that as a ground level entry. Wow. Look, it hasn't ever killed anyone, anyone, but by the way, it kills cancer cells. And that's yeah, strange. It totally does. Imagine yeah. that. And wait a minute. That is, that is such a disruptor that we try to be sort of like, Hey, we just want people to know that cannabis is all right. You know, whether you using it for stress relief or to truly treat an illness but here we have the actual knowledge that this is a huge disruptor. When people go home and realize that this is the actual truth, that you can type in, you know, patent number 6630507, and your government has been incarcerating people for a medical, historic, ancient plant, then that triggers people to have to question, wow, I've been getting lied to by my government my whole life. So do you oh, see how it's just sort of like, the first domino falling that can really disrupt people's sense of security and their trust in the government systems. So do you see how like this thing and being able to go on the internet and find out things like that, it really is a disruptor that if, like you said, that people would know about it, that they would be out joining forces 
uh, it doesn't happen because it's such a mental disruptor. It's such cognitive dissonance. And another thing that happens, you know, just like the Canaway products, people are like, ooh, where's my slice of the pie? This is my chance to make some money. And I really want everybody to have their slice of the pie. But, you know, with 5,000 applications going in for 75 licenses, it really should make people pause and realize just how lottery style chances it really is. And I was talking to Larry O'Hearn, who's the owner of Nature's Grace and Wellness, a independently owned cultivator um, in central Illinois, real pretty close to Peoria. Their flower has improved. Their flower has improved. It has uh, improved. They, it they, really... uh, they were probably taking notes from Revolution. Uh, yes. And, you know. What I have told him about his butt is I'm like, I can tell somebody inside that cultivation center is in love with those plants yep. because those plants are responding. And I was joking with him. I'm, I go, you know, it sounds all touchy feely, but if somebody comes in there angry, it can literally affect those plants. And what Larry O'Hearn said who has been a farmer his whole life. And there is nothing more stressful really than being a farmer because everything is so expensive and so at the whim of whatever what, what, whatever weather shows up for you. So I'm like, oh, Larry O'Hearn, you're the perfect guy to own a cultivation center because you've weathered so many storms already. You are in perfect shape to handle cultivation. And he's like, it's like expecting Secretariat, the racehorse, to run a perfect race every single day so the stamina to with withstand the regulatory requirements and then to grow a beautiful product it's just immeasurable how stressful that can be so to think yay i want a license um that you might just have bit off all the stress your body can handle and i feel like in oklahoma have you guys looked at that program and trust me i'm Eakering with envy because they're like, we haven't even launched. We don't even have any flour to sell. And we've got 120,000 people registered as patients in Oklahoma. But they have segmented all of their licenses. So a, a normal business would not grow their own product, process their product, package their product, ship their product, and sell the product. I mean, all the way through and, and including marketing. Right. right. So with the Oklahoma program, it's more segmented and it lets a lot more people in. And what it does, and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing your opinions on this, it lets a lot of people throw in their own personal assets and cash. And then at the end, a couple of years later, the people with a lot of money are going to be like, okay, so now we get to pick and choose who's stayed above water and who's shown that they actually have the tenacity to survive in this industry and they can get picked off. What do you think? Depends on how much they allow for um, uh, monopolization of the marketplace. I mean, because in Illinois, they really locked down who, how many licenses you can own. Now, like they've segmented the industry in Illinois into like four different areas. And so they could segment it further into nurseries and into uh, just a specific processor, like, you know, extractor type license like they do in California and maybe also delivery. But I don't think that they're going to segment it into like from the craft grow to say that the craft grow isn't going to be from the seed to shipping out the door pre-packed, pre-wrapped, pre-weighed, pre-cured like they do currently. I just don't think they're going to change that. Well, I think Oklahoma is going to be also there at the state where Washington was 10 years ago, as far as the Wild West goes when it comes to medical. Um, Mm -hmm. They've already had an established uh, every other corner had a CBD store. And now 
the transition just to go from, hey, now we're, now we're just taking it up a notch. You know, it's, it's not that hard. But what I do see uh, for the medical side, and this is what happens when I witnessed in Washington, where first off, you got to have some balls to be in the industry. You got to be willing to like, OK, I'm going to go. I'm going to be a, 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 a caregiver. I'm going to you know, supply this to everybody. And then once you get your line going, you're because you're, you're talking about a vertical integration where they grow and then they uh, sell at the store. I think she froze. Oh, never mind. No, no, she's just listening to you, man. <laughs> you're good. You're good. So, yeah, the, with, with like here in Washington, a lot of people took an entrepreneurship upon themselves. They had to grow and then they uh, uh, went and sold their product in front of a store, all their own revenue. And a lot of these guys made millions from, you know, being in control of their product or if they had good product. And then when 502 happened, our recreational, uh, that was licenses and lottery. And a lot of these places, went out of business because uh different types of enforcement now and right. i think oklahoma has the chance to you can still be a millionaire with a seed yeah you have that until you have like a listeria outbreak or something i mean that's the thing that illinois and maybe also washington state have gotten really really crazy on they've realized that cannabis is a food stuff i mean it's something that you put into your body and so they want and like that's really that's points big points on the craft growers for how in your operations are you going to ensure not just consistent product and reliable product uh, uh, but you know pure it needs to be tested and it needs to be uh, pretty much chemical free you know there's just stuff that you cannot put in in the supply and then you have to be committed to always having that supply ready to be shipped out the door that is hard especially at 5000 square foot flowering and then especially at people that they're just in the green rush phase where it's like, I'm going to get this license. I'm going to be rich. And they have no idea where it's going to be. I'm going to get this license. It's going to cost me millions of dollars before I start making that money back. And then once they start making that money back, it is a grind. And then 280E. And it's like the the 40% nominal tax rate that you're actually paying because you can't deduct any of your expenses like in a normal business. So it just has people coming and going. And and I do feel like I want people to be able to make money, but my mission isn't really about that. My mission really is to gain acceptance so that we don't have doctors bullying people. And doctors really are doing the opposite of what they should be doing. They should be saying, hey, this is your first line therapy. I'm, I'm, they have to stick with their Hippocratic oath to be able to say, money, I know money, what money, is money, safest. Money, money. Come you on. Know, Come on. That's, that, the doctors are taking the federal money. They, and they haven't learned anything about it. So like, if you look in the rubric of like the people that are always against cannabis and the ones that keep the stigma the most, it's the ones that take the federal money because they don't want to risk the federal money or the law enforcement money. They take the money that says you're not allowed to have it. And so like healthcare, I can't date anybody in healthcare. And they're gonna be like, what do you do? I'm a weed lawyer. Get the fuck away from me. I'm, I don't want to lose my job, you know? Uh, and that's just how it is. And so it would be the same thing if they were in prisons or if they were in some type of federal position where they've abided. They said, oh no, I'm gonna comply with all the, the federal laws. They don't want to risk that. I mean, the public housing, same thing. You got Section 8 housing money coming in. You don't want to risk that. You're going to say, no, no, even if it's legal here, you're not allowed to smoke. It's my Section 8 housing. You can't smoke in your apartments. Well, that's there's the crux of the biggest irony is that nurses 
the patients will be more honest with a nurse because they don't think they're going to get in trouble from the nurse. And the nurses are like, yeah, I know I've seen cannabis help so many people, but I can't even tell. They can't even talk to a doctor openly and honestly about it. And it is much easier to toe the line. And there's been this saying that you keep, I just follow the law. I didn't make the law. I'm just enforcing it. And that is a bullshit thing to say. It's not. It's literally a psychological fact. It was proven by the Milgram experiment. Essentially, and I I, I hate to be a buzzkill on this, there's a two-thirds chance that everybody is a Nazi and they will only be following orders and they will follow orders to kill somebody else provided that an authority figure instructs them to do it. And so if you ever want to just like cry yourself to sleep and sleep and then when w- sleep through your alarm, and you're like, fuck it, man, nothing matters. Read the Milgram experiment. <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, and then and then remember that the next time you're in a position where a person of authority is pushing you to hurt somebody else, you'll be like, hang on a second. I read the Milgram experiment. Fuck you, man. And then exactly. leave. Exactly. Yeah. Just arbitrar- arbitrarily absolving yourself of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. I was just following orders. I'm sorry. Right. You can do it. Yeah. Because you guys talked about uh, money and a neat trick that they pulled, you know, during the 215 days, the early days was uh shaming you know like how are you going to be a grower and make money you know like this is supposed to be a non-profit like we're a bunch of fucking hippies that don't like want to have a living or have nice things also oh, or... they're making you feel bad about actually making a living off of this yeah there was a lot of shaming going on as far as uh it's medical which it is but you know there i mean we we still need to like overgrow the world but people need to eat people need to uh have decent incomes and and and, and support their kids and whatever else people do, you know, with job money. That's what it is. It's a job. Essentially, it could be. If you spend your time on it, you should get compensated for that time. Yeah. I just say, when you say people, people say patients over profits, I totally agree. But I also think that we have to learn that people are uh, self-interested. Yeah. Well, not just that. But I mean, we're People are, we're citizens. We're, we're normal. Folks. Oh, yeah. The, the, the patients over profits. I, I don't think I've, I've said that. It's the get rich quick fever yeah. that people yeah. get, which is why you see a whole other brand of CBD out. Uh, have you guys gone a day where you don't see a new brand of CBD? And they all and, think that their brand's the best. So they're all falling victim to the same type of I'm going to get rich fallacy because I'm special. And then there's a guy that's way less ethical than me that has my type of understanding of how like you can sell online websites and and, and stores and marketing and branding. And they're just taking them to the cleaners, just to the cleaners. And it's like and and then you talk to them and then the growers because the growers are fussy. And so the growers for um, uh, hemp are also fussy and they aren't business people, they're farmers. And so um, it, it just creates a cacophony of things that I think is going to create a lot of bankruptcies, especially after the USDA's rules become effective for the 2021 crop year. Yeah. Uh, the licenses for hemp growers in Illinois, I think, were issued January 1st of 2019. And I did talk to some people who had purchased their own CBD flour and then made it into salves and balms and tinctures and just by their own personal massage business, let's say, had gotten a wonderful following. And they were like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to get one of those hemp licenses. And the first thing that happened was that they went out to their little tiny patch of 50 plants, right? Experimental, you know, 
get, getting things started. And they could see that someone had actually grabbed the stalk and tried to rip it out. Yep. And it was such an incredibly strong plant that I'm sure that it cut their hands all up, but it had, you know, torn everything up from, you know, half of the, of the stalk. So she had to guard her plants, which weren't going to get anybody high. And then she was randomly chosen for an on-site lab test. And because she lived in such a remote area, she was going to have to pay individually for this lab facility to come out. And it was going to be $1,000 or more. And so she was able to plead to the state, but I don't think it made any difference. I think that, you know, you, you get what you get. And I was just, I felt like, go back, purchase your CBD, make your salves. You already have something that is selling. You don't have to become a farmer, a processor, and then live with all those government um, compliances. And uh, I heard a story about someone saying, oh, well, I'm paying a refrigeration company to store my CBD that has been harvested and tested. And they're waiting for the price to come back up. And I'm like, yep. Mm, yep. this is a commodity. And the yep. more there is, the lower the price goes depending on the demand and it just stops being something cool and new and just turns into a commodity at that point. Yeah. So again, to warn people about getting pie in the sky ideas and dreams of a gold rush on this is, um, you know, it's just not right to be dishonest that way when I know I can see the writing on the wall. Well, I think those type of people also fail from the, the lack of uh, knowledge because, you know, Tom and I have talked about before, if you're going to get into this business or cannabis business, rather, with any flower, hemp or, you know, marijuana, whatever, uh, it's expensive. You know, like your friend, she experienced the security system she needed, uh, uh, the seeds, the the, the harvesting, the, the time to be there and grow. I mean, what is your time worth, right? Uh, why not look for some white labeling somewhere? Like, here's the my issue with everybody right now is, we got to question the farms. We got to question the sourcing of this shit. I wouldn't trust anything from China, Africa. Yeah, I'm down. I might, I might give it a shot. Why are you going to trust things from Africa, but not China? Cause China, you think they got regulation in Africa? No, it's like, uh, who, who's our guest? They can't afford pesticides. Oh, they can't afford pesticides. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I will give this shit a shot first. I mean, but the thing is, I think people, if you're going to get involved in this kind of business, like I, for one, can't afford a ticket to Africa right now and check it out. But that's the kind of money you need. You need to be able to firsthand see what you're getting yourself into. Because yeah. uh, right. And when you have a lot of people who are entrepreneurs and they believe in the American dream and they have an area of expertise and they think this is finally my chance. And what I say to that is, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to deconstruct the oligarchy before you can jump into this and get a fair chance and a fair shake at this it's you've got to find your ancillary business maybe be willing to just trudge along uh gain your experience gain a lot of networking learn to diversify and not hold on to this exact dream and maybe switch it up a little bit to make sure that you can still keep a foothold doing something connected to cannabis but the people who've got the money are going to reap the most profits I think people underestimate the cannabis consumer too, or the hemp consumer. Like this whole industry market, what the fuck you want to call it, has a history, right? All the way back to Jack Hare, uh, Dennis Perron. Um, you know, there's so many names that you can name that, you know, we're still in the state of not being there yet. You know, I, I've, I've got more 
so I had a, a Facebook profile that was 10 years old and I used to joke that I used to have more dead activists on that friend's profile just because I, I can't get that profile back. It's gone. And, 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 and this is fucked up, but we're not to the point yet where we can be like, ah, oh, we're good. Like, ah, oh, everybody's out of jail. Fucking I'm good. Right. You've really touched off something inside me. Then that's what keeps me up at night. It's what I think of as soon as I wake up is that someone is going to die. And then two days later, they're going to be like, if only they knew about cannabis. Oh, I thought you were going to say the exact opposite. Somebody's going to die and they're going to be like, this is because we legalized cannabis. Like, you know, that. I'm just waiting for like a guy to get out of the cannabis dispensary and be like, yes, I bought it and just get smashed by a bus. And they'd be like, see, it does kill you. If he oh wouldn't have gone to the dispensary, that bus wouldn't have hit him. I mean, like just because what? that the, the, the stigma, the prejudice is deep. And we have cannabis bearing the cr bearing the cross of all the other bad things that have ever happened. Don't smoke cannabis. It'll give you cancer. No, it doesn't. No. That's cigarettes. Stop blaming cannabis for what cigarettes does. Don't, get, don't do that. It's addictive. Mm, do I see everybody orally fixating on a cup of coffee all day long and you're going to hold this grudge against cannabis? And, and well, we can talk about orally, oral, orally fixating. If you need to orally fixate, which most people do, then for, for God's sake, please let it be cannabis. But yeah. don't carry around this well, like chain and this burden. Well, it, as a crutch, though, I mean, come on. It, it, cannabis is not the worst crutch if there's any. Any, oh, no. any use is medical use. So if it All makes right. my skin better, I'm fucking, it's better. I exactly. Mean, and there's always going to even be within our industry is what's recreational and what is medical. And I don't I'm not ever going to draw that line at all, because when you say, hey, it makes me relax. Yeah, I would come home from my previous life's job and be like, I can't go back. I cannot face the stress and the pressure anymore. And I would smoke up and be like, I'm fine. I'll go back and have another great client and, and yeah. things will be fantastic for another three or four months. So that type of psychological management is heavily medical for me. And if you're trying to draw a line and just be like, oh, I don't need medicine. I'm not sick. It's like, no, you're not sick. You're just managing your life. You're not sick. You're just an idiot. That's the problem. I mean, like, you're just so stupid that you you can't see outside the bounds of what the, the world says is your life. And you can't be like, wait a second. I wonder if the government lied to us about this this flower. I wonder if they did that. Right. Was Is there something inside of us where we're like, hey, we're already ostracized. So let's go be ostracized together where the cool kids hang out. So you know what what hair got up our asses where we were like oh no we don't care what you think we're gonna throw this in your face <laughs> no exactly and that's why i think it's important to have like a, a group your size where you know being in that uh in facebook i mean everybody's interactive in that thing there's actually active people you know uh i've been in some groups where it's dead it has a lot of followings but you know it's nice to see there's a lot of people just communicating with each other back and forth Right. It's incredible to have people come on and give their testimonials. Those are the ones that we really freak out because they're like, yeah, uh, we finished the RSO. We went to the doctor. No sign of live tumors. We have people say, I, I've lost 160 pounds. And they didn't go on cannabis to lose weight. It's a side effect of feeling better, 
and also getting off of pharmaceuticals that really mess up the metabolism and make people uh, gain weight. And um, it's been really wonderful to collect all these wonderful stories. And I had a physician come to one of my presentations and I was like, you know, so what is it? What made you actually show up at a cannabis thing? And he goes, well, I've seen the pattern. The patient comes in, they have something I give them a prescription for. The next time they come in, they need another prescription to address the issues associated with that first prescription. He goes, the next thing you know, they've gained weight. The next thing you know, they've got diabetes. And he goes, you remember a couple years ago, it was during football playoffs, which it is now. So, you know, sorry that the, uh, the Saints lost people. In New Orleans, my bad. But uh, they used to have a commercial for a, a particular type of stool softener because you did too many opioids. Correct. So if you had opioid incontinence or like opioid constipation, take this other pill. Yes. God. It's like uh, owning a corn chip company and a diarrhea medicine company and making yeah. the corn chips cause diarrhea. It's, right. it's brilliant. And like they, I would have, I remember some, some, uh, they, they weren't like, you know, the nicest person in the world, but they were a good businessman. They own all the diet clinics and the dairy Queens in the city. Oh shit. Yeah. Clever, clever. I, I gotta be honest with you. I just worry about burning in hell. Like it let that Catholic flogging of Catholic guilt. guilt. Oh, shit. Think about Catholic guilt and keeping <laughs> marijuana illegal or cannabis illegal. I mean, how much Catholic guilt's out there. That's just like, I can't, I can't commit another sin. I've already sinned five <laughs> times this, this afternoon. Yeah. That that might be the hair I got up my ass where I'm like, I'm already going to hell. <laughs> I've already, yeah. according to those rules, I'm done for anyway. So I may as well go out and, and yep. be as bold as possible. But you really are just helping people though. Yeah, that's exactly right. And And I, because I go out and do these programs, it's not like you get that immediate payoff you know, sometimes if you do something good for someone, they say thank you and there's an exchange there and you get that immediate reward and you don't even know what kind of impact the community is experiencing. And this past October, I did 10 uh, networking events. I'm also a board member of Illinois Women in Cannabis. And someone came up to me at Rockford and said, do you remember you came to our little Sycamore library and it was so wonderful that you came out there? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I really did do that. You know, it really has had some type of an impact. And to just imagine four years ago how hard it was to even get a newspaper to say, hey, yeah, we'll run your story and we'll promote this event that you're going to have. And now we are getting the calls where they're like, hey, will you come on and provide a statement and tell us more about what you're doing? So even just in the last four years, in regards to physicians being more, being more accepting, uh, in the beginning of this program, we had people driving up from St. Louis to Chicago and spending the night so that they could see a physician near Chicago who was willing to take on a new patient. Like it was really hard to find it. Uh Oh, you guys locked up. Ah, uh, Comcast got him. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Oh yeah. He's got the worst uh, signal there. Oh, right. there back. Right. So now Comcast. with physicians. Yeah. So doctors are actually without being um, pot doctors. They are actually listening to their patients. And if the patients say things like, look, I just want to try it out. I've tried all this other stuff. I've heard people say it might be good. 
And the doctor's like, oh, no, I don't have a license to do that. I'll lose my prescribing license. And it's literally on the patient again as patient pioneers to say, that's not really how it works. All you're doing is verifying that I'm truly eligible for the program. And think back to we were fingerprinting patients. This is ridiculous. I, I was just thinking I've, I've been fingerprinted six times just over the past few years of being in this in industry. So uh, I think I'm used to it. I don't think anything of going and getting fingerprinted now, but think about asking someone who is sick to go get fingerprinted. It is just. It's still like you know, just for me to get fingerprinted to be a patient. I mean, like I realize even this freaking you know, podcast is a federal conspiracy because of how stupid the federal law is. But um, we are all still putting our tails right between our legs and doing yep. what the man says. Yep. And the man isn't enforcing the law at all anymore. When was the last time you heard of a federal cannabis bust? Well, I know which one when it happened, but um like one that wasn't flagrantly illicit. And this was, you know, people using home grow in Denver to uh, exploit that and then export Colorado weed outside of the state. Yeah. Well, I still don't want the feds. I mean, I think that the, just the chance of that happening, just like when you read the law, it says, according to the letter of the law, this is what should happen. But what really happens in reality can be a completely different thing. I contacted Bob Morgan because he was the original chaperone of our medical program. And he's an Illinois rep uh, from Deerfield. And uh, we, we constantly getting on the phone with him and saying, wait, but it says right here in the law, this and this and this. And he's like, Neh. and then uh, the Moline Police Department wrote this long post about, you know, you can do this, you can do that. And what they wrote in there was, if you have a child below the age of 18 that they can consume, if it's okay with the parent's permission. So oh, maybe like like what's French that? Wine. What's that? It's, it's kind of like uh, wine in France. You know, if you're, if you're drinking wine with your parents, it's okay. Yeah. I, like even that I'm like, all right, I, you know, with alcohol, I can see cops letting people get away with that. But even though the Moline police department said that I'm like, I don't think that's what the law says. Uh, so, not, yeah. Let's all just stay way over here, way over on the other side of this line and not poke the bear. Yeah. But you still got to treat it as illegal. I mean, you guys are going to go through all the aches and pains of like everybody questioning the law. But what I do see for you guys is being that now it's accessible to anybody. You're going to see a big increase in the medical aspects. I think it's people who were like, oh, I just wanted to smoke a joint for the weekend. You already yeah. are. It's yeah. coming out like they just had some data come out uh, for the state. Now, the state added PTSD in 2017. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at overdose deaths in the state of Illinois post 2017, they're down like 30 percent. Right on. But so like with you guys, I saw a post in, in, in the group uh, where people were concerned about the scanning of the IDs. Right uh, here, they scan our IDs. It just, you know, it, it pings if it's 18 or owner, it hits DMV, whatever the case is. Uh, people are worried about a database. But you saying you guys get fingerprinted for medical out there? Correct. The reason why people had to be fingerprinted at that time was because they had to prove that they were not convicted of a drug felony. And we all joked, it's like, could have gotten a felony for murder, but I can get my medical cannabis card. Yep. And so if you had a drug felony specifically, no, 
no cannabis for you, no cannabis for firefighters, no cannabis for a medical program for people in the police department. And I don't know if you guys know any cops, but, you know, there's stereotypes of them being really fond of alcohol. So do you see how we could just do so much good for that entire profession if they were to slowly maybe take the safer option? And I've heard people say, I don't want my pilot consuming cannabis. I don't want my doctor consuming cannabis, Um, but it's okay for them to consume alcohol. So you're cool with that. And you understand that eventually they're not going to be impaired, but you wouldn't expect that or even go to the trouble to research that before you just lay that blanket accusation on cannabis that everybody's going to be wasted behind the wheel of a car. People are still... They like to hold on to their beliefs. Don't don't want to shake up their belief systems. It's definitely that stereotype bullshit again. You know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, your pilot's going to be like lighting a spliff as he's fucking flying. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that was a Snoop Dogg movie. It was called like, you know, Soul Plane. I think that was a documentary. Hey, uh, there's some some caffeine for you, but I, I wanted to thank Kirsten for coming on and uh, telling us everything that the medical cannabis community is doing. So besides the website, the other thing that's big is the Facebook page, right? Absolutely. Get to our Facebook group, the medical cannabis community, ask your questions and also go read the wonderful content and the articles that we have permanently posted on our website at themedicalcannabiscommunity.org. It has been so cool talking to you guys. Kind of watching ourselves. So great to get get the exposure and let even more people know that there are so many wonderful resources out there. And I'm going to be out there banging my head against the rocks, trying to convince people to chill their role on cannabis. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Have a great afternoon, you guys. Enjoy your football. You too. You too.